Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello there, and welcome to It's an S-Pod Thing, the podcast revisiting every episode of S-Club 7's insane TV show. I'm Sophie Davis, and joining me on this journey from Miami to Spain will be a range of guests who may or may not have seen the show before. Either way, we're going to analyse it in more detail than anyone ever asked for. If you're an S-Club fan like me and remember watching the show, hopefully this podcast will bring it all back to you. So my guest on the podcast today is comedian and writer Ellen Waddell. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me. Uh, So to start with, I'd just like to know, what is your history with S-Club 7 and have you ever seen this mad TV show before? So my history with S Club 7 is I I feel like I was at that stage where I was maybe a year too old to really invest in um, their career and uh, musical um, adventures, but I was aware of them and I definitely watched this TV show. Like I when I was watching it, I was like, oh, of course, I remember this. And for some reason, they're in America. And yeah, so I think my relationship with them was like, I I wasn't fully invested in everything they released. And I, I wasn't like a huge fan. But I do think they were sort of in my peripheral vision of pop stars at that time. But I also remember um, all the girls are incredibly uh, slim and attractive. And I definitely think it was probably around the same time in my life where I felt very insecure about the way I looked. So you know how like um, when you're sort of like a teenager and you're just a little bit insecure about like your general appearance and puberty is awkward and all that kind of stuff. And then all the pop stars like are just incredibly slim or athletic or confident looking and so you sort of admire them and you want to be them but at the same time every time they're on tv or something like that you're just like oh Rachel's so attractive I'm never gonna be as attractive as Rachel or um I don't know like why are they all so like slim and beautiful uh so I think I definitely wanted a body like Rachel's. Yeah. And throughout this whole series, they're pretty much always wearing like crop tops and bikinis and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, the, the fashion in it is so, uh, of its time where Mm -hmm. it is, it is a lot of, um, sort of like kind of loose combat trousers, but then, or like that military green sort of color and yeah, then tiny little tops. And I think that was it. I think at that age, you want to be able to wear those tiny little tops, but you can't because you're chubby and awkward. So that's not for you. Yeah, it's always baggy trousers and really, really tight, small tops. Do you remember those trousers that were kind of, they had loads of big pockets and like bits of 
material coming out of them. That seemed to be a style at one point that I had. They were called octopus trousers or something. Yeah, I remember those pockets for your your bits. Like you, you didn't have that many things. You didn't need that many pockets. Yeah, those were those were quite the look at the time. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's. I also remembered earlier that I did. Uh, maybe it was like eighteen or something. I did some backstage catering at a festival in Bristol just over the summer to earn some money. And mm-hmm. Joe from S Club Seven, who I think must have moved on to her solo career, which I guess did not set the world alight. And uh-huh. she, she came backstage and uh, she had a cigarette. And that's my relationship with uh, see, meeting S Club Seven up close. And her hair is just like so bleached. <laughs> it must she must have ruined it girls allowed were also performing at that festival and i let cheryl cole go in front of me uh, to go to the toilet and that was my wow uh, i know and they also had like <laughs> a1 performing or someone from a1 oh, it was wow. <laughs> it was all it was all the um all the sort of failed pop stars uh going on doing a bit of song and i served them uh burgers so you know a bit of a thrill <laughs> So today we're talking about Miami 7 episode 6, which is called Alligator, and it aired on CBBC on the 13th of May 1999. The titular Alligator has appeared in the series before, but it gets to be the star of this episode. We find out that it's called Clint, uh, (laughs) and the episode begins with them all just sort of watching him in his pen. And Rachel's being weirdly dismissive. She's saying like, Lazy alligator fails to move, hold the front page. It's like, come on, Rachel. Like, you don't get these in the UK, but she's just completely disinterested. Yeah. Um, I couldn't remember because I was like, I was like, I'm just going to let the episode wash over me and see what comes back. And as I was watching it, I was like, why are they in America? How do they have <laughs> visas? Because. It seems like they're trying to make it as pop stars, I guess. But they're working for this fella, whose name I can't remember, even though I watched this Howard, earlier today. Yeah. Howard, They're working for Howard. Uh, but also, if they're trying to make it as pop stars, why are they in Miami? Do you know these yeah, things? <laughs> it's a weird one. I think I was thinking before, out of context, this episode is a weird one because... They're working in a hotel, and mm. I think this is the first episode so far where we don't actually see them working in the hotel. They seem to be just doing other stuff. But basically, at the beginning of the series, they were in the UK, and they were getting annoyed that their manager hadn't got them any gigs recently. So they're trying to make it as a band in the UK, and of course, their next step was like, oh, well, we can't make it in the UK, so maybe we should go to America. And their manager got them this job well he said they were going to be performing at this hotel every night and it was like a top hotel Mm. uh so they went over under that assumption as you mentioned before i don't know what went on with visas and all that sort of thing (laughs) they didn't really go into that sort of detail but they went over to miami and found that it's actually a really kind of cruddy hotel and as well as performing they're also being expected to sort of clean and man the reception desk and all that sort of thing but in this episode we don't see them doing any of that so it's a bit weird right okay so they're basically uh being exploited by howard Mm -hmm. which is very bad but i assume maybe maybe he like they get to sleep in their weird bunk beds 
yeah, anyway, so I'm skipping forward uh, to to the scene where they're just clearly all sharing a room with each other, which um, yeah. <laughs> really is quite upsetting because you're like, I know, so 1999, I was 14, but I was definitely aware of, I don't know, they're all quite sexy people. And mm-hmm. it's quite bizarre to be like, oh, they're just all in a room together and no one's, no one's got anything going on with each other. So I feel, I feel this show really desexualizes them, but that's probably because it's for children. So this makes sense. Yeah. Whenever there are sort of romantic plots going on in this series, it's all very like, oh, I really want to snog him and that sort of thing. <gasps> oh, snog. Such a good word. So they're behaving as if they're about 14 when they're actually sort of in their late teens, early 20s. Yeah, so that was definitely something that um, popped out of me. But um, yeah, so they were, they're were they looking at the alligator and then like John has a weird affinity with the alligator, doesn't he? <laughs> Where, um, yeah, he, he, he seems to care a lot more than the others do. Yeah, he has a little special bond with Clint, it seems. Uh, which I, I found, I thought was really sweet. But it was also weird because I guess he was like... I don't know, maybe it's like he was he was chucking some dead chicken at it as well. And he didn't seem interested. The alligator was not interested in much that was happening around him. It was a pretty like chilled out alligator. Yeah, John gets quite concerned that he doesn't want to eat this raw chicken. And Rachel is like, sorry, still waiting to be interested. <laughs> like, come on, Rachel. It's not that boring. There's an alligator a few feet in front of you. Yeah. I was going to say she, that is that her personality type, but I sort of felt like their differing personalities were not evident in this episode. It was more like the girls were very girly, and the men were there being men. Like there, I don't know, there wasn't. I didn't watch it and go like, "Oh, Rachel, you're so this." Oh, Bradley, you're so this. Uh, I sort of was like, I feel like you could have written these lines for anyone. Yeah, this comes up a lot. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> whereas, you know, something like the Spice Girls movie, mm. they've all got these very distinctive different personalities. You can tell what they're all about just by looking at them, really. Whereas in this, they're all just sort of on varying levels of dumb, really. And Rachel is often portrayed as being very sort of vain and only interested in what she looks like and nothing else. And as you mentioned, yeah, later on, there's a whole, well, it's kind of like the girls go shopping and the boys deal with the alligator. But for some reason, Hannah is put with the boys. Not sure why. She's not really sort of more boyish than the others. So who knows? Maybe she's like more of the tomboy. Because I generally watching it, I thought, I think she's the only one who seems to be able to like act. That was my sweeping judgment. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, she she seems like she's she's more interesting. She's a more charismatic screen presence yeah she gets some sort of a weird kooky stuff to do in this episode which we'll probably come to in a minute but um they all kind of agree that clint is looking a bit down and they also think that he looks like their boss howard who is clint's owner and there's a really weird exchange here where rachel is acting like she's concussed or something she says well no wonder he's depressed i'd be suicidal if i thought i looked like howard with a tail and then she pauses and goes i don't do i and John goes, you're not his pet, Rach. And she goes, oh, I guess that means no then. Yeah, that was a really weird moment. I I, um, I didn't quite understand what the point was there unless uh, Howard has some weird sort of uh, Stockholm Syndrome thing going on with Rachel. It's very bizarre. Um, John is going on about how Clint shouldn't be cooped up in a pen. He should be out in the wild with all the other alligators. 
And this is what, where he starts getting really sincere. Like, we need to do something about this, guys. Mm. He says, we need to take matters into our own hands. Uh, Rachel goes, what matters? And Bradley goes, what hands? <laughs> yeah, that did make me laugh. That was, I was like, well yeah. done. Well done, writer. <laughs> yeah. On the scale of who is the most dumb, Bradley is often at the bottom in the show. He? Who's the most smart then? Uh, John, uh, and possibly, mm, I don't know. Howard has all these nicknames for them, which come out occasionally. Mm. And he calls Paul smart kid. And I'm not sure why. Oh, interesting. John is often portrayed as being quite sort of bookish, like that sort of, um, you know, book smart thing. Mm. Uh, I don't know really, but yeah, Rachel and Bradley are usually at the bottom of the scale. Bless them. Oh, yeah. And John says, oh, it's going to be easy to get the alligator out. All we need to do is muzzle him, get him in a car and take him somewhere. And then he sort of turns around and they've all just disappeared and left him. And he's like, guys, guys. Yeah, I did like that. I was like, oh, it's like the Batman trope, you know, where he just sort of disappears. So uh, at that moment, they all became Batman to me, which was nice. <laughs> I think it's really wrong of how to keep Clint here like this. I mean, he shouldn't be cooped up in a pen. He should be out in the wild, roaming freely through the swamps and forests, doing all sorts of alligatory things with other alligators. Yeah. Like what? Huh? What do wild alligators actually do all day? Well, I don't know. They hunt and lie around and swim. They read books, take in the odd movie. <laughs> yeah, you can laugh, but I think we should actually do something about this. In fact, I'm going to go over to Howard now and tell him to set Clint free. I, I, I mean, I think it's a bad plan. I'll be honest with you. I feel like he's uh, putting a lot of his own personal feelings onto this alligator who seems kind of just like an alligator. He seems sort of fine. Mm. And also, if this was a different kind of TV series, it's almost like the beginning of a horror film or something. Because it's just like... You go, well, don't muzzle an alligator. <laughs> this could go, and you go, no, it's less cubs. It's fine. They'll be fine. But not a good plan. I would say, uh, I like John's intentions. He's a good person, but I would say that this is a bad plan and he just needs to get a hobby. Yeah, exactly. Clint doesn't seem to be in that much distress, really. It's just sort of come out of nowhere, this idea that he's not very happy. Yeah, I did. I did really like um, Howard and Marvin. Is that his little mate, the guy who? Yeah. I sort of liked because uh, you you see them next, and he's like reading a letter from the bank about how he's spending too much money to stop writing checks, and it, it, it seems like a really informal letter from the bank, uh, which I quite <laughs> yeah. liked. Yeah, and he's also got this letter from a, a dating agency. Um, and because it's 1999, Marvin is immediately hysterical. Like, you joined a dating service? It's so embarrassing. Yeah, but it was, it's weird how um, back then it was sort of a more, I don't know, taboo thing to do. Or, or it, it was associated with like, oh, you can't find someone in the real world to mm -hmm. kind of go on a dating site, which I think probably carried on before, like what, until like, I think I went on one in 2000 and I'm going to say 10. Mm, yeah, maybe 2010, 2012 and feeling a little bit dirty about it. So, um, yeah, it is weird how it's sort of the the way people meet each other. But like back in 1999, when you got weird personal letters from the bank saying, please stop writing checks. Um, <laughs> you also, it was also shameful to go on a dating site. 
I don't know how you felt about this plot line, but I was like, who is this for? <laughs> like, who is this plot line for? Is it for like parents who are watching with their kids? Because they're like, oh, he's a middle-aged man trying to find love. I identify with him. Because like, this is a really weird plot line for children to see. Uh, yeah, I couldn't quite figure out, um, yeah, what this B plot, like, who, who, are they, who, who are they hoping would enjoy this? I mean, I enjoyed it. But um, it was weird. Maybe maybe that's the target audience, people watching it when they're a bit old. Yeah, 35-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, I quite enjoyed this because, well, in the previous episode, Howard and Marvin aren't really in it that much. And it's very much focused on the band and Joe kind of breaking up with her boyfriend who's back in England. And I found this storyline with Howard sort of getting a makeover a lot more mm. engaging, to be honest, more interesting than the band. Yeah, I can de- I de- can definitely see that. I think it's because um, I quite, yeah, I think he's got some good, good like dynamics with Marvin. Uh, they've had, I like their relationship, apart from when like Howard shamed Marvin's wife and said she had a moustache. And I was like, don't you shame his wife? I bet she doesn't. You're just jealous. <laughs> yeah, he mentions that, doesn't he? He mentions, uh, is it Tracy Sue? We've been, we've been married for 16 years. And yeah, this is the first time we've heard about him having a wife. Oh, interesting. I don't I don't think we ever meet her, but yeah, she gets a mention. And Howard is, well, at first he seems quite confident, but because he's quite interested in this woman, like he's, I guess he sees a photo of her and he's mm. like, ooh, she's an ex-model or something like that. And He's been quite confident at first, but then he suddenly crumbles and is like, wait, what if she hates me? What if it's a disaster? And this is when they come up with the idea to ask the girls from the band for help. Oh, and you see them work, finally. They're behind the bar, aren't they? Like, Oh, little, yeah, they li- are, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, little bit of fake, uh, fake working. You know, they're just like <laughs> standing there, not doing anything. No customers. Doesn't need three of them there, but they're like, we did it, we're working. <laughs> yeah, they need three of them manning the bar when there's no one around. Hmm. And yeah, Ma- Marvin is the one who suggests that they ask the girls for help. And Howard is like, okay, okay, but make it subtle. And then it cuts to Marvin with the girls at the bar. And they're like, Howard, dating? You must be joking. And they think he's beyond, they think he's beyond help, don't mm. they? But then Marvin sort of waves some cash around and they agree to, to help out. Howard? Dating? You're joking. Who's the victim? I mean, lucky woman. Anyone we know? Do we know the Bride of Frankenstein? Well, actually, uh, she's a very intelligent and attractive woman, which is why Howard's so determined to uh, get it right this time. And how's he going to do that, apart from sending someone else along to be him? How? You're going to tell him what to do, that's how. We are? I don't think so, Marvin. Oh, it's hot today. Do you have a pen? You might want to take a few notes. I guess it's sort of uh, early market research, because I was like, why are they... They're being paid for their opinion on their boss. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's just like a focus group. So that makes sense. But also, and also like the money he's holding, that's probably like $5. He's just fanned it out. (laughs) So it's not that much. They'll do it for anything. Yeah. They don't think much of him, which, you know, is understandable. They have some bad opinions. Yeah, yeah. Marvin goes back to Howard and is like, oh, they've got some thoughts. And he unravels this really long bit of paper, which is quite a good joke. Um, and they say, oh, you need to change your clothes, your hair, your personality. And he's like, but why can't I just be the real me, not a fake version? He says he's going to listen to his gut and pats his stomach. And it makes a really sort of exaggerated gurgling noise. Yeah, there was some <laughs> really loud reverb on that. I was like, I, I 
don't know. That sounds like it was recorded in a, a cave or something. Um, <laughs> but also, again, with this plot line, I I feel like uh, it's more interesting than the alligator one because I, I was obviously like, who is this for? And I'm like, oh, it is quite interesting because it's basically saying, you know, if you're dating, do you are you you or should you change who you are? So I feel actually it's probably for like single mums watching it going through that very same crisis while the kids are sort of enjoying the alligator plot line. They're like, oh, I'm about to start dating again. What should I what should I be wearing? Who should I be? And so I feel like they're getting a lot from Howard's journey his story arc on this episode. But I also thought the girls gave some really good advice. I wrote it down because I was like, yeah, that's that's a nice thing to say to a man. Was it, oh, be warm, be witty, be, <laughs> be nice. And I was like, oh, that's, that's really, that's good. That's universal advice from 1999 to now for men. Yeah, but he's unimpressed because he's none of those things. And he's, and he's like, oh, can't I just be me? <laughs> it's like not warm, not nice. <laughs> yeah, no, that is true. He, um, he's none, he is none of those things, but it's, it's a shame. I don't know. I don't, I, spoilers, but it's a shame you never get to meet the woman who he's, that's, that's what I was hoping was like, you see her, there's a big reveal and he would be happy, but, uh, you never meet her, but that's later on. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, at this, at this point, I wrote down, where's Paul? Because we've seen everyone, and but Paul has literally not turned up in it or said anything. And then I think in this scene, <laughs> he does say something. So I was like, okay, he's got two lines, it's fine. Yeah, there's this scene where they're all kind of practicing a dance routine together. And, oh yeah, Paul does say a line in a second. Bradley's kind of in his own world. And Tina sort of goes, Bradley, what are you doing? Concentrate, will you? Like really out of the blue, just shouting at him. And he goes, oh, I was, ju- I was just thinking about, nah, it's too horrible. And then this is a kind of running thing where they try to get, where they try to guess what people are saying, but it never makes any sense because Hannah goes, what, you've realized you don't really like chocolate? And she sounds <laughs> about like she's about five years old. And Rachel goes, you got changed too quickly and accidentally put on Paul's pants again. And Paul goes, what do you mean again? It's all very weird. So is that sort of a, a thing where they try and practice like their psychic powers and they never get it yeah. right? Yeah. There was one in the previous episode where Tina was like, guess what? And one of them said, you're, you're Dolly Parton and Boy George's child. <laughs> it's bizarre. Wow. But I mean, that doesn't make sense on many levels. <laughs> um, but is, is this also the scene, like I said, where you, the reveal for me was like, they all have these different, they have a bunk bed each and no one's, mm-hmm. no one's slipping into each other's bunk beds at night. And they, there's just this weird lack of sexuality about any of them, which I just found very confusing. Yeah, definitely. Also in the world of this show, John is straight as well. Like he's flirting yeah. with girls and stuff. Yeah. And, and weren't Paul and Hannah dating? Wasn't that something that came out afterwards? Yeah, they were at some point. It, as far as I know, it does get written into the show at some point, I think quite late on. I'm not uh... sure if they were dating this early but um yeah i think out of all of them they were the two that actually knew each other a bit before the band i think they were both part of the same kind of youth theater yeah. group or something like that and then i'm not sure at what point they became a couple but yeah i'm looking forward to seeing it built into the show yeah because when you're watching this are you trying to figure out who likes who in real life or who's friends with who because i 
I can't, I just, I remember when I was younger watching TV shows and being quite obsessed with the idea of like, oh, they must all be friends. Like they must all get on with mm. each other. And then there's that sort of thing as you get older and you realize people weren't best friends offset or they didn't spend all their time together or, and yeah, watching this, I'm sort of like, I bet, I bet some of them fucking hate each other. I bet like <laughs> Tina can't stand Rachel or Bradley and I don't know, like bickers with Hannah or something. I, I was just, yeah, I was trying to work it out when I was watching it going, who fancies who? And who just is like, no, I want to be yeah. on the other side of the room from them when we're doing all our dance routines. I don't want to share a trailer with them or backstage area. Anyway, that that's sort of my fascination is always like, who's who likes each other? And the answer yeah, is definitely. probably none of them. They probably all hate <laughs> each other. Yeah, at this point, they hardly even knew each other as well because, you know, they were just randomly put together in this band. Paul and Hannah already knew each other, but I think the rest of them, it was just completely just thrown into it, really. And they recorded this TV show before they'd even recorded any albums or anything. Really? Oh, wow. I didn't yeah. realise that. For some reason in my head, this was like concurrent. So the TV show came before they started releasing their, their music properly. Yeah, this uh, first series aired and then I think they released the album or well, the first single and then the album just after it finished. So I guess it was all part of the sort of the launch really like we're going to introduce everyone to this band via this tv show yeah. and then release the album at the end of it and i mean it obviously it worked pretty well i guess but it's quite an unusual strategy that also makes so little sense to me because i thought <laughs> they're all singers and you know they they sort of gone oh okay here's here's another way for us to make some money let's put in a tv show but it seems so weird to me that they get people who are non-actors because none yeah. of them are, none of them are good and build a TV show around it about their singing which is like second to their acting it's like why do you get people who can act and sing there's a lot of yeah, them out there it is weird because yeah as far as i know they were just auditioned on singing you know that's how they got into the band some of them were scouted because they were you know, doing jobs that involved singing. Mm. Some of them went to audition. I haven't really heard anything about them having to audition in terms of acting. And yeah, yeah. it is very, it is very weird, but you know, we didn't care when we were younger. <laughs> no, that is true. Actually. Uh, you just watch it and you go like, it's, it's weird how when you're younger, you have, um, you just don't have that radar for really bad acting. It's cause mm -hmm. you, you just see people acting like that and you go, well, that's how I'd act if I was on a TV show or like, I don't know, that's how people act. <laughs> you don't have a sense of normality. You haven't met enough people to know what's normal. So you just go, that's just normal for people to be slightly stilted and say words like they've memorized them. That's just, you know, and then you get older and you, you realize that's not how people talk. Yeah. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yeah, so... It turns out Bradley isn't concentrating in, th in this rehearsal because he's trying to picture Howard on a date and they're all like, ew. 
Rachel suggests that they should track down the woman and warn her. And John goes, it's it's not like he's an axe murderer or anything. And Bradley says, why would anyone want to murder an axe? Yeah, I see what you mean about them trying to make him seem dumb. Because I was like, that's a weird, oh wait, yeah, no, that is, that is... uh... (laughs) It's pretty dumb. And they all have this kind of shared hallucination of Howard on a date being all romantic. And then it turns out he's just looking at himself in the mirror. Yeah, I think I missed that as a hallucination. I didn't pay attention for two seconds. And I was like, what is happening? Uh, Why is he dressed like that? And then I thought, oh, he's talking to a mirror, isn't he? And I was like, ah, classic. Classic um, 90s trope. Yeah, because I was expecting after that bit to cut back to them in the rehearsal. But it doesn't. It just moves on to something else. So I think it was a hallucination. Oh, did they have shared hallucinations often? In episode one, they did for some reason. They were all imagining what it was going to be like in Miami. And it was kind of established that they could all see each other's, you know, wow. fantasies. But it hasn't come up again until now. I think that's that's something that should have been explored. This like weird seven way hive mind where they can see each yeah. other's thoughts. They'd be like, fuck everything else, guys. Like, did you realize we all exist on the, se- the same sort of astral plane? Uh, where one of us imagines something and we all see it. Also, in episode one and episode two, there was a moment where they all put their hands into the middle and then a lightning bolt ran through them and it has not come up since. (laughs) What? What? Do you think they just went like, we? there's a couple of directions this show can go in, let's just throw everything in and see what... (laughs) See what we fancy. We'll just we'll just put this in. Maybe they're magical. Maybe they've got superpowers. Maybe I don't know. They they're gods of lightning. We'll pick it up at some point. And they're like, nah, it's not as interesting <laughs> as like I don't know, alligator freeing and middle aged men going on dates. Much more interesting <sighs> than I don't know, shared psychic connections and superpowers. That's the spin-off I want to see. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, we're back at the alligator pen after that and John is going through his plan to set it free again and we get the exact same joke as before where he turns around and everyone's gone. Yeah. <laughs> and they all come back, right? Because they've all just got bored with pretending to be gone. I can I can understand the motivation for helping him, I'll be honest with you. I was like, what? Yeah, this is where he crouches down and has a bit of a moment with Clint and oh, there's yeah. this kind of swelling emotional music in the background and he's like don't worry clint i'll get you out of here i don't know how and i don't know when but it's gonna happen Mm, yeah i think i think this part was uh the saggiest part of it everything else felt a little bit like tighter this part Mm -hmm. is like we get it free him already or like stop revisiting his pen don't worry clint they might turn their backs on you but I'll get you out of here. I don't know how and I don't know when, but it's going to happen, okay? Okay, okay. What do you want us to do? And I love as well how, you know, there's this emotional moment going on. And it's just so funny to me. The alligator just has a completely blank expression. Like it's not even looking at him. (laughs) It's just so jarring. Yeah, that is definitely an alligator who um, is not interested in show business at all. Because I was thinking like, oh, it's a movie alligator. And then I went, that's weird, isn't it? Is that his job full time? Does he have an owner? Like, how does it, how do you hire an alligator? And is this the same one as the previous alligators we've seen? There's loads of different Clint's. Oh, yeah. Like, like the dog in Frasier. Maybe there was one and then uh, its uh, son started doing it as well when the other one was getting too old. Oh, is that what they did in Frasier? Just keep it in the family. Yeah. Yep. I think they bred him deliberately to have puppies, like specifically for future Frasier. 
Yeah, they're like, if you die, your son will take over the family business. Don't you worry. <laughs> and yeah, as you said before, they all disappear. And then three of them come back, but it's weirdly a different three from the ones who were with him a few seconds ago. Because he was with Paul, Joe and Tina. And then suddenly they come back and it's Paul, Bradley and Hannah, but they just carry on the conversation as if it was them all along. I didn't like that at all. They're so interchangeable to me. That is really <laughs> weird. It's me paying too much attention to all of this. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, this is, the, this is the point where they agree to help him, don't mm. they? They say, go on then, tell us what to do. Yeah, and his plan is quite good, in fairness. Like he has, I mean... It does involve what it's like the one with the it's got the weird sort of barrel type thing or is it a dustbin? Yeah, it kind of goes through two phases, doesn't it? Because first of all, they build this contraption, which is like a bin with some planks of wood on it. Yeah. And they think they're gonna just lure Clint into this bin and then trap him and muzzle him. And John goes, It's quite safe, I promise you. It's like, have you done this bef- a lot, John? Have you done this before? But they do a test run with Hannah pretending to be Clint. And I think that this is my favorite moment in the episode, I think, because mm. but Paul goes, oh, you just have to stick your teeth out. And he sort of bears his teeth in a really goofy way. Yeah. And he goes, you, ha- you have to stick your teeth out. You have to crawl around and growl. And she's like, OK, OK. And Hannah just goes on all fours and full on just screams out of nowhere. It's so extreme. That's when I think I decided she was the best actress because I really felt she committed to that um, that bit. Um, and also, there's I liked there was a bit in this where I was like, "This is a interesting line." Because, like I said to you, I'm obsessed with the lack of sexual tension in this TV series. <laughs> but she says she calls Bradley "yummy boy." She goes, <laughs> she says something like, "I'll eat you, yummy boy," and I was like, oh, "Okay, <laughs> all right." This it's is, uncomfortable. Yeah, I was like, I think she means it's a crocodile, but it, I mean, if you call someone the yummy boy, <laughs> there's something, there's something uh, kind of flirty, kind of sexy in that. I mean, I, I don't know. I'll try calling my partner yummy boy and see how he takes it. <laughs> it is hey. weirdly sexual. Yeah, she she has to crawl into this bin. And she says, oh, I'll pretend there's something nice in there, like a Yorkie bar. Paul is talking about, oh, Clint's got a brain the size of a walnut. And Bradley mm. goes, yes, yes, so is Hannah, which is a bit rich coming from Bradley, who didn't know what an axe murderer was a minute ago. But Hannah, this is the point where Hannah says to Bradley, well, just wait till I get my teeth into you, yummy boy. Yeah, I mean, oh, Hannah, you saucy minx. Getting into <laughs> dustbins, calling people yummy boy. What are you like? Okay, okay, I'm growling. <laughs> Scary enough. Terrifying. Okay, Hannah, now you move into the trap, mm-hmm. which you baited with a nice big lump of rotten meat. Oh, Christ, I'm not getting in there if it's full of rotten meat. It's not. We're just pretending, remember? Oh, okay. Hang on a minute. Can't we just say we're baiting it with something nice? Like what? Yorkie bar. But we haven't got a Yorkie bar. How about some dirty street? Oh, no, thanks. Hannah, just get in there, will you? Okay, okay, I'm going. But I must say, speaking as an alligator, this is very unrealistic. Ew! It's very dark in there. Hannah! I'm just thinking as an alligator. But how can you? Clint has got the brain the size of a walnut. Yeah, so's Hannah. Ha ha! 
I'll just wait till I get my teeth into you, yummy boy. Hannah! Yeah, she gets into the bin and they slam the lid shut and then they pick up the bin and because she went in head first, logically they should have just tipped her upside down, but they haven't. She's somehow turned around. She sort of scares them by throwing the lid off and shouting. So they decide it's not a very good system. And that's when John notices these big sort of tube barrel things that are there for some reason and has this little eureka moment. Mm. Um, I'm not really sure what these things are supposed to be. They're just sort of massive tubes. Yeah, I I was thinking that because this is like in the hotel, I guess, kind of area where mm. guests can go and look at the alligator and there's no it doesn't seem like it's a very safe area because if they're able to kidnap this alligator that sort of tells you that anyone could just jump in the pen with it i mean it's not even like the um that bit of mesh or whatever separating them from the alligator is very safe so i think this is very unsafe uh hotel and should be shut down but also those yeah those weird tube things yeah like what would you do with those other than i guess help alligators escape from their um, (laughs) prison yeah that's what they were made for clearly (laughs) also they're spending so long with this stupid alligator and not practicing or trying to live their dreams which is why they're in miami in the first place uh so if part of me feels like they're either avoiding practice or they're scared of success that that was my opinion of them in this episode i was like why are you practicing don't you want to be stars yeah they're procrastinating we don't really see them perform in this episode they're just sort of rehearsing but then very quickly get involved in this plan we see john sort of explaining the plan to everyone and he's got a toy alligator and a toy van from somewhere um, and sort of using bits of loo roll, the loo roll cardboard things to uh, show how the tubes are going to be placed and they're going to lead Clint through the tubes into a van and then take him away. And while he's explaining it, there's this kind of knockoff Mission Impossible music in the background. Like it's sort of similar Uh... enough, but not exactly the same, it seems. Yeah, just to like invoke that um, atmosphere of... It's not quite Mission Impossible, guys, uh, but, you know, it is It is a plan. There will be some kind of heist involved. Yeah, and when he's done, he goes, right, any questions? And Hannah goes, yeah, why does toast always land butter side down? I did like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, like, like, I like Hannah in this episode. She's sort of, she's very crazy in this episode. Like, she's a bit Phoebe from Friends sort of thing. Yeah, I think, I think that sort of... Um, what they try and paint her as, isn't it? It's because she's not like a girly girl. She's more mm-hmm. of a... She's almost like the early version of a manic pixie dream girl in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like later on, you can tell people will be like, she's she's kind of attract. She's attractive, but also she's just like one of the guys. So... Yeah. Uh, and she's kooky. She ticks all the boxes. <laughs> um, yeah. But I did, I did also, I do, you know, I do wish someone would have answered that question because why does it always land bust side <laughs> up? And no one could tell her. They dismissed her because they just didn't know. Yeah, they just sort of roll their eyes. Yeah. The last part of the plan is they need someone to distract Howard and get him out of the way for the afternoon. Mm. And Rachel's like, hmm, I think we can come up with something. And she looks at Joe and does a weird handshake with it. Like they're going to sort of murder him or seduce him or something, but they're just going to take him shopping. Yeah, I was quite impressed. I'm impressed with anyone who can do a handshake whilst talking. Because up, up to that point, I was like, they're saying lines very badly. Um, 
But when she did that, I was like, oh, she's remembering her lines and doing a handshake. Kudos. Yeah, it goes on for a while, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it's too long. <laughs> um, so Rachel, Joe and Tina take Howard to the mall because they want to give him a makeover and they take Marvin along as well. Uh, meanwhile, the plan is being put into motion and Bradley and Hannah, for some reason, are asleep on top of the tubes. Yeah. Have you noticed that people, there's a lot of sleeping in this second half of the episode? Yeah. There's a moment later on where it's the same joke to yeah. two scenes right after the other, um, where the punchline is, oh, he's asleep. And then they were asleep. Do you think they just got like a random punchline generator in the writer's room or <laughs> the guy who's writing it was like, I don't know, what could happen? It was a dream, shared fantasy sequence, Hannah says something sexual. Oh, I know. <laughs> Someone falls asleep. That's just it. That's yeah. the four, four scene enders for um, X Club 7. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they, they go shopping with him. And this was so... This this like really dated it, I felt. like Because y- you could just see all the clothes and you were like, okay, I'm sort of getting the time period we're in now. And <laughs> it was... Um, no, but I say that actually. The, the, a lot of the clothes were quite 80s in this uh, mall in Miami and kind of, I guess men in Miami just sort of like all dress a very specific way. And it just seemed very like eighties Marks and Spencers. That was the vibe I was getting from that uh, shop. Yeah. 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 The sort of carpeted floors. I like how when they do the musical number, they're all sort of, it's quite a cool song by S club Mm. standards, but they're in this shop, which does not look cool at all. No, it was, it was really weird. It sort of felt like, um, I don't know, like if Marks and Spencers had made an advert and tried to be trend, like they're quite trendy now, mm-hmm. but they weren't then. Or I, I don't know, or like Debenhams had made an advert to be down with the kids. <laughs> it felt like that. Like they were going, oh, we need to attract young people. Why don't we get some like cool pop stars in to mouth along to a hit number whilst a middle-aged man does a uh, fashion montage. Um I found this whole bit really weird because they had quite a sort of stereotypical uh, gay character in it. And they also, there was a bit where like Howard pushes Rachel in front of him and he puts his hands on her hips. And I was like, don't you touch her. Oh, I didn't notice that. (laughs) Oh, I don't know why I noticed it. Cause I was just, I think I found the whole weird, I found a bit weird that they were sort of like falling all over him and taking him shopping. But also there's just a bit where he touched her hips and I was like, you leave the, uh, how old are they in this? Like 19? You leave that 19 year old yeah. alone. Uh, but I did enjoy the, the idea of like, um, instead of being girls trying on clothes, it was like one guy montaging trying on clothes. That was mm-hmm. quite fun. Yeah. Um, before they go into the shop, uh, Howard says that he usually does all of his shopping in about 20 minutes. And Rachel starts sort of fanning herself. Mm. And then a few seconds later, we get this really loud off-camera thud. And Rachel has just full-on collapsed onto the floor with the shock. Yeah, because she cannot believe you would spend 20 minutes shopping. And that makes her faint. <laughs> and that is that is science. That is medical science. That's what happens when we hear such terrible news. Um, yeah, I, but I did think that was quite funny, actually. I did enjoy it. Yeah, and Joe does a sort of double take that's quite good. Yeah. And yeah, as you said, there's this really camp shop assistant who comes Mm. over to help them. And to be fair, I think this guy is giving the performance of his life. He's really going for it. He is like chewing the scenery. He's just having, he's he's living his greatest day where he's like, just be ridiculous. I will be ridiculous. Ah. 
Afternoon. May I help you? Yeah, we're looking for a new image for this gentleman here. Mm. Good move. What sort of image did you have in mind? We were thinking smart yet casual, light yet weighty, serious yet flippant, sexy, vulnerable yet strong, and cheap. Just a little. Yep. Okay. So let's recap here. You're looking for something smart, casual, strong, vulnerable, sexy, serious, and flippant, all at the same time. Hmm? Uh, preferably all in the same garment. And don't forget cheap. I see. Is this one of those hidden camera shows? Yeah, and we get this song which is called So Right. It took a, a lot of searching for me to find this because apparently it was a B-side on a single. Um, and I tried to Shazam it and it said song not recognised. Oh, wow. What a, what a low blow from Shazam. It's like, no, no, no. No one knows the song. <laughs> yeah, because I, I found it by Googling some of the lyrics in the end. Um, but yeah, it's called So Right. It's quite sort of downbeat compared to a lot of the other S Club songs. It's not really as uh, sort of boppy and fun. And as we were saying before, the girls are sort of strutting down the aisles of the shop, like the yeah. shirt and tie aisle. Um, and Howard is trying on all of these different outfits, including a kilt, mm. a cowboy outfit, a leather jacket and hat, and a, a sort of like Uncle Sam American yeah. flag sort of outfit. And I like how before the song... They were kind of establishing that this was quite a classy, expensive shop. Yeah. And then it's like they're in a fancy dress shop now. That's just gone out of the window. And also, like, what is he wearing on his date? Because none of those outfits are the right outfits. One one of them is like an oversized mobster suit. Um mm-hmm. and, and the patriarchic, like you said, it's that sort of he's almost like wearing the suit equivalent of the American flag. Uh, yeah. And you're like, what are you just gonna you're gonna turn up on your date dressed? like in an American flag and in my head I was going what is the best outfit because I think I was way too invested in his storyline I was like no no Howard stop it what is the best outfit for you (laughs) at this moment in your life where you don't want to ruin this day and you're spending quite a lot of money um and none of for me the answer was none of them they were all wrong Yeah, it's a shame we don't see him actually going on the date because I would like to know which of these hideous outfits he's chosen Yes, and uh, how dare Rachel faint about fashion when she lets this uh, terrible fashion montage happen? Uh, they, they give him no help at all. Um, but one, there's a lyric in the song which I thought was like quite funny. It was something about like being cheek to cheek, and I was just like, "What is that? Is that like if you're if you're cheek to cheek? Just saying they want to be cheek to cheek with their partner." And then mm. my brain just sort of envisioned that. And I was like, that's weird. Cause why don't you just kiss him? <laughs> Is it like, you just got your cheeks like mushed up against each other. And, um, and then I realized I was overanalyzing S club seven lyrics and I needed to stop. <laughs> <laughs> that's what this podcast is all about. <laughs> I think it's just, there's, there's so much happening because they also, when they're doing that montage and I'm guessing this happens in every episode, they do a song which ties mm-hmm. into um, the theme of the episode. Wow. Um, <laughs> loosely ties loosely in. Loosely ties in. Uh, but they're also just singing right down the camera lens. And I'm like, okay, so they're breaking the fourth wall. This is very interesting. So they know they're in a TV series or shared fantasy sequence again. Yeah, sometimes the songs are 
sort of part of the episode, like they're performing at the hotel. And sometimes they're like this, where it's like a music video, you know, like it's, they're just, it's a musical or something. Yeah. Who knows? It's sort of, I suppose, a bit like Glee, because that was a similar thing where sometimes they're performing in the context of the show. And then sometimes they're just like in the school corridor having a sing. Yeah, no, you're right, actually. And uh, yeah, I guess you sort of don't need that. Um, you don't need them to explain what's happening. We're just going along <laughs> for the ride. But yeah, it is, it is weird how you go, oh, what this song, this like album track, like you said, B-side. Uh, I guess they must have really saved the hits for the very special episodes. Yeah, because there's, I think, 13 episodes. So I guess maybe it's the album and they maybe had to include a few more. So after after the song's over, we see they've bought lots of clothes. Mm. You know, like we said before, it's a shame we don't, we don't get to see what he's actually bought. Um, but he says he's going to wear them and then return them with the tags on. Mm. Um, and the girls are like, oh, we're not finished just yet. They take him to a salon and they're all sitting in a row with face masks on. And Marvin is sitting at the end of the row asleep and snoring. And then literally in the next scene, we're with the alligator crew. And there's a punchline of, oh, I think Clint's snoring. Oh, no, it's Bradley. So it's like within a few seconds, we get the same joke of, oh, they're asleep. How funny. Maybe falling asleep was really funny in 1999. Maybe that was just the thing. <laughs> Everyone's like, they've fallen asleep. Ah, what a joke. <laughs> Everyone's like cheering. Um, this bit with the alligator in the back of the van, how do you think they filmed that? Because as far as I can tell, they've he's just in one of those long tubes. Yeah. And that's it. There's nothing keeping him in there. There's nothing between him and like him eating Hannah's face. Like... I, I guess they have safety precautions on set, but I, I was watching that and I realized I'm just way too um, anxiety ridden to watch certain shows because when I saw that, I was like, no, what he needs, I need, I need to see something stopping the alligator eating Hannah's face. And also when Marvin, uh, sorry, Howard revealed he was going to take the clothes back. I was mm -hmm. like, okay, good. Because he looks like he spent a lot of money and that's probably too much money for someone to spend um, so I, I overthink these things way too much, but I was, uh, particularly concerned by what was keeping the alligator from jumping out of that tube other than it's a tube. <laughs> yeah. Tube. They, they, cause they, cause they said they were going to muzzle him, didn't they? But they don't seem to have done that. They've just got him in a tube. Like, ah, he'll be fine. Yeah. He's, he's really tame. He's, he's well-trained. He won't eat us. He's not going to survive in the wild, really. He's too tame. Yeah, I I wonder if they were just like, oh, the, the guy wrote it. It was like, and then they muzzle him and they're like, you can't do that because that's animal cruelty. <laughs> and he's like, okay, he's just a real, he's a really chilled out alligator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's just going along for the ride. Um, back at the salon, Howard is now getting a wax and Tina says his back is so hairy, it's got a centre parting. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good joke. I like that. Yeah. And then when they're kind of leaving the mall, the girls are feeling quite surprised by how much fun they've had with Howard and Marvin. And mm. then Howard reveals that he wants to stay at the mall even longer and spend even more money. And Rachel goes, girls, I think he's got it. And Joe just really randomly kind of goes, yeah, <laughs> it's really <laughs> odd. Hey, that was fun. It was? Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Hey, what do you think? Too layered? No. Good. You think I should put a color on it? Oh, who cares? 
let's get a nice present for Marlene. Huh? Nothing too cheap. Howard, let me get this right. You want to go and spend more money? Well, sure. I mean, what the heck, like you say. You can't take it with you. Marvin, hand me another credit card. Girls? I think he's got it. Yeah, I think he's got, but I was like, what he's got is self-worth and he's done some good self-care and he loves himself and that's all he needs is what I took from it. Howard's had some character development in this episode. Exactly. He's really, uh, yeah, he's developed himself. And also it's quite nice seeing um, cross-generational friendship as well. Yeah, it's quite sweet. I quite like this episode in that way, I think. I like Mm. it when Howard and Marvin are involved, I think, and when they're sort of bonding a little bit with the band, because at the beginning, Howard was very sort of angry all the time. I mean, I'm saying this, he could just completely revert in the next episode, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I imagine there's not like a very clear uh, trajectory on what he does. Yeah, they they arrive in alligator country to set Clint free. Oh, I liked that joke. Sorry, that was another good joke, was when they just had a sign saying... Oh, yeah. Going, oh, like, oh, when are we going to get to alligator country? And there's just a sign that says alligator country. And I was like, well done, touche. Have a little giggle at that. Yeah, we get this emotional music again when they say goodbye because John and Clint have this special bond. Yeah. And after after they've set him free, we see them arriving back, presumably, well, we don't know how long they've driven for, but mm. they arrive back and Clint is already there back in his pen. Um, yeah. I don't know how quickly Clint has been running, but that is quite an image. I mean, I don't know how physics works in Miami, but differently, I guess. And... I don't know, maybe there's a portal of some kind to to get him from alligator country back to uh, <laughs> that weird little house he lives in. Yeah, I'd say, yeah. I'd say uh, of all the things that didn't make sense in this episode, that made the least amount of sense. And it made even less sense when, was it like Marvin says, oh, he's a homing alligator. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's not the same as a homing pigeon. He can't fly. That doesn't make any sense. That's not how alligators work. No one in the show knows how alligators work. Yeah, because he tells them, oh, he always wanders off and comes back. That's why we keep his gate open at the back in case he feels trapped. So it's like after all this time they've spent developing this intricate plan, they didn't notice that the gate was just open anyway and he can just come and go as he pleases. And just wander around and eat people's faces. (laughs) Sure, we just let alligators wander around Miami, why not? Yeah, also there's children at the hotel, but it's fine because it's a homing (laughs) alligator and no one knows what that means. So this was a waste of everyone's time. He's just come back immediately, even though they've tried to drop him off God knows where, God knows how far away from the hotel. He's back quicker than they were. Yeah, he's pretty speedy. Speedy Clint. Yeah, and then the episode ends with the girls seeing Howard and he's looking quite smart. Not not wearing any of the outfits we saw him trying on earlier. He's looking a bit um smarter and he's got his hair done quite nice. And there's the music from Reservoir Dogs in the background. And wow. this was used in yeah, this was used in episode one for a sort of Reservoir Dogs reference. So I guess they wanted to sort of get their money's worth or something, but yeah. They use the Reservoir Dogs music in this episode. (laughs) That's so weird. Yeah, it is weird. There's been two Reservoir Dogs references in this series so far, and I'm going to count this one as the third, just because it's 
the music. <laughs> wow. Do you think that's just because the writer, like whoever's writing on the series, really likes Reservoir Dogs or uh, it's part of a deeper uh, message about S Club 7? I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because it wasn't even that current at the time. It was about seven years old. I'm guessing someone maybe just watched it like at the time and they were like, oh, I like this. I'm going to include it in this kids show yeah. references to this very, very violent adult film. As they just sort of like half asleep, hung over, shitted out an episode and went, that'll do, it's perfect. No <laughs> corrections, make it. Yeah, and they use the music again here. The girls ask Howard how the date went and he says it was a disaster. And they're like, oh no, what did you do wrong? And he's like, no, it was her who was the problem. And he starts having a go at her dress, her hair, her makeup. And the girl starts sort of backing away like, oh no, we've created a monster. And it ends with him saying that Prada has got a sale on and he wants to check it out and they all just sort of run away. So I guess character development is not developed as we'd like. And uh, he just turned into Regina George from Mean Girls at the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they, even though um, maybe he's going to offer to pay for hey, that stuff at yeah. Prada, but they're not, they're not interested though. They just run off. They're like, no, we don't want to go to Prada with you. Also... He must have a lot of money if he can afford to buy things at Prada, sale or not. I I mean, I don't know much about designer clothes, I will be honest with you, but I, I'm under the impression that Prada is quite expensive. So if he was willing to like buy them all stuff, uh, then I think he's pretty wealthy. It's not like, a, oh, guys, there's like a sale on it, like, I don't know, TK Maxx. It's like, it's Prada. Like, let him, let him buy you treats. Yeah, this is kind of an inconsistent thing as well, because the whole thing is that his hotel is really bad and it's failing. But then in some episodes, he seems to just have tons of cash. Mm, yeah. Although maybe he's just sort of um, going into debt or something, because he did get a letter from the bank earlier that's true, that he that's was in true. trouble. So all we've learned is that uh, he's bad with money and um, yeah... I mean, I, I think like you said, I imagine the next episode, he will just be the same person he was before. Um, yeah. And also I've been shopping and I definitely did not turn, uh, change my personality after shopping, but I haven't been shopping with S Club 7. So maybe that's just what happens. Yeah, I think so. So um, any sort of last thoughts on the episode before we finish? Um, it was... Um, it. It was interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I genuinely forgot, like, their, their acting is... In, the thing that's bad about their acting, but also good, is they're all, they're all reading lines in the exact same way. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, as if they are in a school play. Uh, so I thought yeah. that was good. I thought that was very consistent. And it sort of made me feel like, oh... I want a Wikipedia S Club 7 and what happened to them and what they're doing now. But then I stopped myself because I was like, that probably might upset me because I can't imagine, I don't know, it might be sad or they might be unhappy. Mm -hmm. I like to, I like to remember them in this sort of like sunshiny way where they're just all ridiculously attractive and young and nubile and, you know, successful in being in Miami. But um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I don't think I'll watch any more. But I <laughs> might Google what happens because part of me is like, how do they wrap the whole thing up there? Then I guess they must, the last episode of the last series, they just must be successful. I don't know. Like, do you, do you remember what happens? Or are you sort of like reliving it? 
as you go? Not re- not really. I mean, I definitely have watched it all, but I'm not really remembering the, mm. the sort of the, the end point, to be honest. But um, the final series is in Barcelona, so I'm not sure what? why they go there. I can't remember why they go there, but there you go. <laughs> wow. S- wow. Because was it called Miami 7? <laughs> So this each series has got a different name. So there's Miami Seven, LA Seven, of course, Hollywood Seven, and then the final one is called Viva S Club, and they're in Barcelona. So they go from LA to Hollywood, which is the same place. That's like I don't know, going like London (laughs) Seven, yeah, then Hackney Seven. You're like, wait, it's the same place. You just been more specific with the location. Sure, okay. I bet I bet Rachel nearly becomes a film star at one point. Uh, that's a bet for a future episode. I bet that happens. Yeah, yeah. or like a model or something, probably. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but no, I did, I did, I did enjoy it. Slash was confused. <laughs> slash was impressed. Those are my thoughts. It was an experience. <laughs> it was an ex- it was a real experience. Yeah. So um, before we finish, where can people find you on Twitter? And is there anything that you would like to plug? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Ellen Starbuck. Um, and I also run a comedy fan fiction night podcast and uh, sort of YouTube channel now as well. Uh, we've done a couple of live streams and that's called Dear Harry Slash Spock. And that's at Dear Harry Spock after everything on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Yes, it's a very funny podcast, uh, comedians doing fan fiction. So if you like this podcast, I reckon you will probably like that one as well thank you for listening to this episode of it's an s pod thing it was edited by alex blondek with music by william kitchener if you enjoyed the podcast and want to let us know that we're your number one please subscribe and leave us a good review When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.